0: Our goal is to bring successful business women together to share how they're leading the way in business today.
1: Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, Women Pushing Boundaries in Life, Adventure, and Leadership. Our topic today is Mindset Over Mountains with Janelle Smiley. Janelle is a mountain athlete, business owner, and mindset coach. She's a seven-time ski mountaineering champion and first ascents on some ski lines I'd dream about. And she set the speed record for crossing the Alps on skis. Today, I'm particularly excited to dive into Janelle's journey to becoming a professional athlete, how she thinks about mindset on long, hard endeavors, and how she's balanced being a mother, explorer, and athlete. Good morning, Janelle, and welcome.
2: Good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, Janelle, let's dive right in. What should our listeners know
2: about you? Oh, I guess there's so many different avenues we could go. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a journey, I guess. So I guess we can pick in, you know, dive in on what you find to to be the most interesting.
1: That's fair. I'm super curious as a fellow lover of mountains, uh, what draws you to the mountains?
2: interesting thing because it's almost hard to describe but it it feels as if I was just born to be in the mountains it's when I'm out there it just like makes me come alive so it's a combo of using my body and using my mind and using you know the skills and talents I've come up with and it all just like comes together and I just almost instantly now at this point can just get into the flow where my mind goes silent and I can just like almost feel like the heartbeat of earth. And I don't know, I guess it's sort of addicting at this point for me.
1: It sounds like it. I love that you mentioned the concept of flow. I think it's fascinating. Do you find that feeling anywhere else other than the mountains?
2: I thought the mountains were the only place I could find it. But then I started doing um, conducting some mindset coaching with different individuals and athletes who have different goals. And I found that I'm able to tap into that same feeling, that same flow, when I join someone else's journey of growth and transformation. And so I found it there. I've also heard a lot of parents say they find it with their kids. I have yet to experience that, but my kids are young. So I guess there's still hope um, in that discipline or in that realm.
1: I bet. Well, and you just told me you have a two-week-old, which is amazing, and I'm even more grateful that you're on this phone call with me.
2: I do. I had a little baby boy, a little baby boy, Luca Wild, born May 2nd.
1: Congratulations. Do you get into the mountains with your, I guess, two-and-a-half-year-old um, so far, and then potentially the, the two-week-old soon? What is that like for you?
2: Well, with my daughter, her name is Tayla. I think three weeks after she was born, she was born in February, we started uh, going on our local resort and skinning up the mountain and skiing down with her. I was getting antsy and needed to get out. And, and so her life started backcountry skiing at a very young age. And then we continued doing that through the winter. And then all summer, I just put her in a baby Bjorn and go hiking with her. And now it's so cute to watch. She walks almost a mile, a mile and a half, two miles on her own, and she just loves hiking in the woods. So the answer to that question is, is yes.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And what do you hope most to share with her while you're out there?
2: Climbing goals that I've never been able to achieve, and so I'm hoping that she'll be my rope gun, which basically means she'll climb harder than I do, and she'll be able to put the rope up for, for me so that I can also climb some of these harder routes that I've wanted to do, but just haven't been able to achieve.
1: That's great. I I feel like as long as they belay from the top, it's totally safe, right? So if they, they do the rope gunning, we're all good.
2: Absolutely. But, no, I really do so, think that they, both my kids will become mountain partners for me to some extent as they get older and I can teach them my passion and our joy in the mountains.
1: That's exciting. It's exciting to watch that growth and that love for the mountains to develop in a little one. Um, you're a seven-time SkiMo champion, which is amazing. Could you explain SkiMo quickly for our listeners?
2: Absolutely. So it's, SkiMo is short for ski mountaineering. And the the discipline or the way that I got into it was I was a cross-country ski racer in college, and I was living in Crested Butte, Colorado, and I heard of this new race where you excuse me, where you skin up the mountain with skins on the bottom of your skis and a special specialized binding that transitions, and you go to the top, transition into alpine mode, ski back down, and you follow a designated course, and I'm like, that sounds like a ton of fun. I get to use my athleticism from, you know, cross-country ski racing, and then I get to be in the mountains exploring, you know, as fast as I can. And so that's how it started. And it's super popular in Europe and it's kind of up and coming, I would say, in America. A few key people have brought it to the United States and it's a great way to have camaraderie, to push yourself, go as fast as you possibly can in a somewhat, I would call it safe environment where you don't have to worry about avalanche mitigation like you do at normal backcountry skiing. And it's, just a great way to challenge every aspect of your body your emotional your mental your physical I'd even say at some point spiritual and I did that for just over a decade raced in Europe raced around the raced around the around the globe to some extent it's a from what I understand
1: my my limited experience backcountry it's a Physically, mentally, like you say, emotionally and spiritually demanding sport, what is your key to success?
2: I guess I like suffering. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I mean, I like like the, the feeling of breathing hard. I like the feeling of fatigued muscles and wondering where my limit is, like how much farther can I go? How much farther can I push it? and so that always excited me just to see what my potential was as a human and then also to tap into the mental aspect of like okay my body is done it doesn't have anything more in it but does it and so that question of like what is possible kept me going and kept me pushing my abilities and like I said earlier in the show too just being out in the mountains and in nature and breathing hard is just it just makes me come alive so it's almost like It's what I was born to do in some some capacity.
1: So you say that you like suffering, which sounds strange to a lot of listeners probably, and you mentioned this exploring limits, finding where are the boundaries. Would you say that suffering is just a path to that, or are there distinct things that you enjoy?
2: Well, I use the word suffering because I find it somewhat entertaining, Um, but (laughs) suffering – Suffering is sort of a choice, like it's gonna, you're gonna feel sensations, and then we get to decide how we label those sensations. You know, when your heartbeat is beating so fast, it feels like it's going to jump out of your chest. Is that suffering? Or is that just pounding and blood flow and pulsing? You know, and so I've, I've played a lot with naming and terming, you know, giving different things, terms when I'm out there, I'm like, okay, here's the sensation. And then I decide how I want to experience that. So I think when it comes to pushing and being out there, it's really just making the decision that I want to keep going when things get uncomfortable in my body or in my mind.
1: This seems like a powerful philosophy. Have you found it to transfer to other challenges in your life?
2: Well, I thought that I could take that into childbirth and so i wanted to go natural and not have any drugs for my daughter and i figured women have been having babies naturally for you know eons and i thought with all the mental training i've done with being an athlete i could i could pull it off and it was awful it was such a traumatic experience trying to give birth without drugs and i also heard that you know, being an athlete, because you have a lot of muscles when it's time to, like, relax and let the baby do what the baby needs to do, I would, you know, instead tense up. So, anyways, my first experience was horrible, and it did not go how I thought it would. And then the second time, I'll be honest, I got an epidural, and it was, like, the best experience of my life. So <laughs> I don't think it translated super smoothly into bringing children into the world, at least at where I was when, um, when I had my daughter. So there's one way it doesn't transfer. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I don't have any experience there, but I do know that when we got to the hospital for our first, my wife said, hi, I'm Leonie. Give me an epidural now. So <laughs> I, I don't blame you. It seems like a good way to go. And uh, wow, for the first one.
2: Your wife is a lot wiser than I was. So I think that was <laughs> well, stubborn egoness coming out in my part.
1: That's, that's an interesting observation. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, found a better way for the second round. Um, going on a little bit of a different tack here, what is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it?
2: My greatest failure? Um, I honestly don't think I've really had any failures. I've had several points that I've learned a lot from and has forced a lot of growth. I would say one of those major transitions was pushing myself so hard that I actually had to get double hip surgery. Um, And I was also just too afraid to get surgery. So I kept pushing, kept pushing. And I was in, excuse me, I was in so much pain that I finally was climbing Mount uh, Logan actually. And I had to call the, airplane company and say, hey, I, I physically can't do this. I have to fly off. And that was like reaching a point where I would you know, you could consider it a, f- a failure it, to some extent, but it was also just like I I couldn't do it. So the rest of my team continued on and I flew off and I had to sit back in a white, um, white horse and just wait for my team to be finished before we flew home. And so I got a lot of time to be and think and wonder and then I went home and got double hip surgery and that was actually the first time where I had to take a look at my inner world and my inner life and question why I was pushing so hard, what motivated me to go to these extremes and to these limits and I had to kind of come to peace and befriend my demons inside and I'd say that was one of the greatest learning aspects for me to set me up for success as my life continued.
1: This seems like a hard but powerful lesson. Did the reason that you pushed so hard change in any way from that?
2: You know, it did. I never really took the time to analyze and wonder why I was pushing the way I was. But really it came from, you know, a message that somewhere I picked up as a young child that I didn't have value unless I performed. And so Mm -hmm. if I didn't perform well, I didn't have value. And so it was really hard for me to come to grips with the fact that I had intrinsic value just being, I didn't actually have to perform. And once I was able to like pick that apart and like go down into those dark paths and come back out of them is when I was able to trans, transform that needing to prove myself into true, a true love of the sport. And so that happened right in the middle of my ski mountaineering career And so I went from trying to prove myself to actually just loving the sport. And the transition in my body and in my mind, I performed so much better when I did it from a place of love versus a place of, like, not being enough. So I would say that was one of my greatest lessons that forced me to go in and spend that dark period, I guess, of my life and come out on the other side.
1: It just sounds much more fun to do it for the love of sport instead of trying to prove yourself, too. You mention in your on your website that you the mountains help you move through fear. Can you say more about that what, what does that process look or feel like?
2: Fear is pretty powerful, and I think I'm sure many of you know our your listeners here have experienced fear in different ways, and the mountains have a way of bringing it to the very forefront of your experience where sometimes in life you can make decisions and you're not you don't notice as directly that those decisions or choices are made from fear but when you're in the mountains you come up against things that are actually terrifying like can i ski this slope without it sliding and killing me can i make three jump turns over this cliff and stay in control and not end up falling down the cliff and perishing or getting maimed and so you come up against that fear and then you get to make a decision Am I going to choose to move through this? Am I going to recognize this fear and acknowledge it? Am I going to try to ignore it? Am I going to try to suppress it? There's so many different ways to navigate and move around and play with fear. And I found making the decision to recognize it, know that it is scary and then actively make the decision to move into it and to move through it has been the most successful path. And that lesson has translated into other areas of my life for sure. Like if I'm, if I'm getting in a fight with my husband or something, I'm scared of his response. It's like, okay, it's there, the fear is there, but I need to move through it and move move through that fear to resolve the issue, whatever whatever it is. And then also in business as well, it's hard to create something and put it out there. And I recognize that the fear comes up, I'm able to acknowledge it, and then I make the decision how I want to proceed knowing that that fear is there.
1: Another one of our guests, D.D. Halfhill, said something that stuck with me about fear. She said, sometimes fear is telling you something you need to know, like there's going to be an avalanche and I shouldn't go under this slope. And sometimes fear is telling you a story that you need to move past. Do you have any tips for our listeners on how to dis- distinguish between those two kinds of fear?
2: Yeah, and I've experienced those um, quite differently. Um, Sometimes there's been several experiences where I'm out in the mountains and we have to proceed in some way through an objective that is, you know, kind of terrifying. And I'll just get this, like, deep gut knowing this is not a good decision. And it, it, it doesn't really come in the form of the fear of the unknown where you, like, get anxious and you start shaking and your mind starts telling you stories and you go down these paths of what if it's more of just like a no and i've been able to listen to that and it has you know i've survived almost 40 years now so i think it's it's apparently working but yeah the fear shows up in varied ways for me
1: and so it sounds like the recognizing is the key for you is recognizing that it's there and what it feels like and if it's what-ifs or a deep no or a risk management strategy. We're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our sponsors and then we'll come back and talk about how ski mountaineering is for women and uh, how to coexist with men in a somewhat male dominated sport.
0: Sounds good. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable, higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. And night. now back to your show.
1: Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Janelle Smiley. I have so many questions. I'm really enjoying the conversation on fear, but I do want to transition for all the listeners out there. Uh, Janelle, is there anything different for you being a woman uh, in the professional athlete world, in the mountaineering world?
2: Well, I don't have as much testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that You know it's interesting I've had this question come up Quite quite a few times And mm-hmm. I had two brothers growing up And I always felt like What they can do I can do And so I never really felt held back Because I was a woman I would just do what they did And then getting into um, Ski mountaineering and racing I didn't really experience it there I had fun chasing the boys And I think passing them made actually gave me more energy, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, and that came from the (laughs) part of me that needed to prove myself. So I guess I didn't really feel any limitations through my race career. I did recognize a huge change or a huge, uh, I don't know what you mean, I don't know if I'd use the word disadvantage. Um, I was treated very differently when I joined a group of Europeans and traversed the Alps. And that was where I really experienced being a woman was, um, wow, kind of felt like the lesser species in that in that particular event.
1: Can you say more about that? Like, what was that like for you?
2: I kind of, I didn't, you know, this was after I had hip surgery, and so I did all that Mm. fun deep work that goes involved, that was involved in, you know getting over my demons. And so I actually just enjoyed watching it play out. And I was able just to (sighs) witness how the men treated the women and witness my experience within that environment. And it was a, I don't know if it was a cultural thing or if it was like a machismo thing or just with the group that we were in, but even, you know, it was just, uh, how do I describe it? It was just as if our opinions or our voices didn't really matter and so what I learned over time is like, okay, I can't share my opinion. If they're going the wrong way, I can't speak up because they just talk over me or ignore me. And so I learned a subtler way of moving within that group and the team is I would just lead by demonstration so I wouldn't talk. If I felt one way was easier than the other or quicker or faster or, or safer, I would just go it go that way. And then towards the end, some of the other gentlemen started following me versus some of the other members in the group. And I thought that was interesting, just to, to lead by example versus lead by voice.
1: Interesting. Especially when your voice is being drowned out, but they can't really talk over your actions. What exactly. advice do you have for for women in business or elsewhere dealing with subtle or in this case, maybe not so subtle bias and misogyny.
2: From my experience, I feel like the more we focus on it, and the more we create an issue around it, the bigger it becomes. If we mm-hmm. try to find our common, our commonalities and our, the things that we also agree on, those become larger, and they kind of minimize the differences. And it happens subtly, and it happens slowly. But when we get really frustrated and we come from a place of anger or just a, a lower vibration, it kind of penetrates the entire environment. But if we come from a place of like, hey, I want to I demonstrate that we're equal. I want to demonstrate that we have a voice that's pretty powerful too, but do it from a place of love versus anger, there's so much more power in it. And it seems to have worked so far in my world to do it that way. And I, I guess I hope it, I hope it will for the rest of you know humanity as we start to branch out even more into our own differences.
1: It sounds like another manifestation of doing it for the love of the sport, for the love of being a human being, instead of trying to prove yourself. Um, Your husband's a guide, and you've done some serious climbing with him, 50 classic climbs in North America. That's amazing. Uh, Finding men who are good allies for strong women can be really important and sometimes challenging. Any tips for how to know when a man might be a good ally instead of uh, what it sounds like happened on your Alps trip?
2: (laughs) Right. Um, Let's see. I would say, I mean, you with him, he was just kind. And he loved the fact that I was as strong as him in many disciplines and in some areas stronger and some areas weaker, but it felt more like a team than it was a woman, male kind of counterpart. It just felt like a team, a partnership. And I've been married now for almost 15 years, I guess you could say, and yeah, it's, it's, it's it's an interesting thing. He's always just treated me as an equal. And um, we did take into consideration that I'm like 30 pounds lighter than him. So when we packed our bags, we would just, mm-hmm. you know, make room for, you know, him carrying a little bit more. But that was more of a partnership versus like a, a feminine and a masculine role. But how makes, to find that? Makes those, a lot of sense. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any, any answers? before we move on? Well, you know, when I was uh, when I was looking for, you know, a potential partner, mate, <laughs> husband, I did have one rule, is I wanted him to be more hardcore than I was because I did find that I intimidated a lot of men. And when men were um, not as strong as me in the mountains, there was a weird dynamic that played out. And I don't know if that was just because I was in my 20s and they were too, or... Or what that was, but when I met Mark, that dynamic wasn't there at all. He was just—he was strong enough in his own skin that I was not intimidating for him, and therefore he didn't have to suppress me to make himself feel better or prove that he was as good or anything. So I would recommend finding men who are very comfortable in their own skin.
1: Great advice. I, I think that's uh, really and if important.
2: I can't, if I and well, if I can say so, the Midwest boys, a lot of Midwest boys are very comfortable in their own skin that I've found. Growing up in the mountains, you know, in Colorado, it seems like it's not that some of some of the, those same qualities don't exist. But Midwest boys, that's that's a good place to go find him.
1: You heard it here. Head to the Midwest for kind <laughs> men who are into partnership. Do you think that women have any unique strengths as leaders?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think women in general, I know a lot of men have this too, but I think we for some reason are a little more in tune to our intuitive abilities. And so we're able to feel a room a little bit more. We're able to feel out decisions versus keep them up in our cognitive minds. And I think that feeling Mm -hmm. through life sets us up for being really great leaders
1: Interesting observation of intuition. And I love your no hesitation. Absolutely. We're running out of time and I have a lot more questions to ask here, but I do want to get to this one because you have a two week old and and you're a professional athlete and you do what's pretty dangerous stuff going out in avalanche terrain. How do you balance that pursuit of the boundaries in life, the pursuit of excellence as an athlete and being a mother?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, for the most part, with some, you know, some extreme circumstances, I don't feel, I feel like we are here on earth to do what we need to do and accomplish what we accomplish. And when we go is not our decision. And there's been a couple circumstances in my life. One, right before I got married, my husband went on a big mountain adventure came back unscathed, totally fine. And then we were pulling aspen leaves out of an aspen tree and he fell 15 feet and landed right between two giant rocks where if he was just a couple inches one way or the other, he probably would have fractured his spine and been paralyzed. And so there's that example where it's like, you know what? You have to live. You can't live in fear. You have to live to your fullest potential because anything can take you out. And then just Mm -hmm. this past year, everybody's terrified of the pandemic that's going on, rightfully so. Um, And, you know, my father was of that age that could get sick. And we decided that we wanted to go visit him anyway. So we went and spent a few weeks with him, came home. And then a week later, a tree blew down in a windstorm, hit him on the head, and he perished. And so those are two, like, really clear examples that it's not our decision how long we get to live or Or it's just not in our power for the most part. And so push, you know, within reason, it's just given my husband and I both the permission, I guess, to fully live and just know that when it's our time, it's our time. But with that being said, I've also done, you know, quite a few in mountain adventures where I haven't used ropes and I've gone really fast and pushed my abilities and I don't feel called to push myself in that same capacity because a fall or a slip would mean death, but I'm not, I'm still not afraid to go out and ski in avalanche terrain and push my abilities with an acceptable amount of risk.
1: Right. Right. And dialing that risk is, it sounds like important, especially uh, with other things in your life that are priorities. Uh, Janelle we're, we're out of time sadly but just in case our listeners want to reach out to you after the show uh, what's the best way for them to contact you
2: yeah um, through my website is a great way JanelleSmiley.com and then um, that that's probably the quickest easiest way to get in touch with me and I love, I love talking about these topics and I'm happy to answer questions and dive in more if people have questions
1: Great, and we'll put that link on the show page as well, com. Please do reach out. She's got an amazing website with some really great trips and mindset coaching available there. Uh, Janelle, thank you so much for your time and insights today. We really appreciate you sharing uh, your unique experience.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time and inviting me on the show.
1: Absolutely. Have fun there in, uh, in Jackson and with the new kiddo, I'm sure. Things are sleep-deprived but also pretty amazing, so enjoy your time there.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, that's all for our show today. Thank you again, Janelle Smiley, for being our guest, and thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune in to Women Lead Radio Shows Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It has been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge.
0: Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where life-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.